Welcome to the Yukon RUF podcast. RUF at Yukon is a ministry that relies completely on the financial support of churches and individuals like you in order to serve the Yukon community. You can support RUF at Yukon by going to ruf.org slash Yukon. And uh, we're, do, we're calling it, Who is the Real Jesus? And uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, was, people think Jesus' best friend. And so he knew Jesus well, and he spent a significant amount of time with him. And so uh, he's a great source for that question of who is the real Jesus. And tonight, uh, we come to one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever uh, performed, which was the feeding of the 5,000, and it's recorded in each of the four gospel accounts. So uh, it's a well-known miracle, and uh, let me read it for us. It's a little on the lengthy side tonight, so buckle up or whatever you want to do, and uh, I'll read it for us. So um, I'm just going to read a couple excerpts from John chapter 6. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, uh, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? And Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments, that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Uh, This is jumping ahead a few verses. Uh, When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God uh, is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. 
They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, and I sh- uh, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. All right, let's pray one more time, and then we'll look at this word together. Uh, Heavenly Father, guide us now. Uh, we come from a lot of different places. Some of us have a lot of questions. Uh, some of us are eager to hear from you. Others of us feel tired and weary. Uh, others of us uh, feel burned by you and uh, wonder uh, where you are. And uh, We come from all these places tonight, and uh, no matter where we're coming from, we pray that you would meet us there. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want you to think for a minute about the best <coughs> meal you ever had in your life. And I want you to just not think about what you ate, but I want you to maybe imagine what it would be like to eat the best meal of your life and uh, to also eat just the right amount of it. Because if you're like me, if you're eating like the best meal of your life, it's like you eat too much and you're like, oh, I shouldn't have eaten too much, like that much, but it was so good. So I want you to think about like a time when maybe you ate like the best meal of your life and you also happen to eat like just the right amount. So you were just like, man, that was like, good and yeah I feel good and I want you to kind of think about that and I want you to think about your life feeling that way and I want you to think about what would it think about your life 10 years from now and I want you to think about what it would take for you to feel like that about your life 10 years from now you know what would have to happen or you know what would be the one thing that you like really needed to happen for that to be possible Um, or I want you to think about your life tomorrow. What would need to happen tonight for you to be sure that you would be fulfilled tomorrow? Uh, It's a way of asking, you know, what is it, what is the thing that you long for desperately? And we all have deep longings, right? And the Bible actually teaches that these longings that we feel are actually symptoms of a much greater longing. Uh, The Bible talks about how we were created for God, and we live in a world that falls very short of the way it's supposed to be. And so because we live in this world that's backwards and upside down and twisted, uh, we have this deep longing for things to be made right. And you actually don't have to be a Christian to even believe that. Uh, There's one of the most famous atheist philosophers of the 20th century said this. His name is Jean-Paul Sartre. Sartre. And... uh, he, uh, he said that he's an atheist, right? And so this is what he said, uh, that God does not exist, I cannot deny. So he's like, I know God doesn't exist. But then he says, that my whole being cries out for God, I cannot forget. Right? It's coming from an atheist, right? So we have this, no matter who you are, we have this longing. Uh, we look around and we want things to be made right. We want to feel settled. We want things to be settled. We want to be complete. 
And in this passage, there's a crowd of people, huge crowd, and they've been following Jesus, and they now see Jesus perform this miracle, this amazing miracle. And in verse 15, it's kind of a funny statement. It says that they want to make him the king by force. And it's like, what the heck is that about? And what that's about is that this is, is, these are the people of Israel. Uh, these are people that uh, were enslaved in Egypt, but then brought to the promised land. But then they were in disobedient and they were conquered by uh, foreign armies and taken into exile. But then they were brought back again to the land that God had promised them. But now they've been conquered again by Rome. And... Um, you know, they're under Roman occupation now. So if you lived in Israel at that time, you were part of the Roman Empire. And these were men that were clinging to this promise that God would set things right. Uh, one day, God would send his king. And so they're thinking, like, this is probably the guy. <laughs> and if he can do this stuff, and, like, in their mind, they're like, we need to get Rome out of here. Uh, we need to start fighting. Uh, for God to fulfill his promise, Rome must leave now, and this is the guy who's going to do it. Like, we finally have our leader. Uh, so, the crowd is really like us, right? They want everything to be the way it's supposed to be. Uh, they want it all to be settled once and for all, and so when Jesus shows up, and he seems to have some kind of power from God, uh, they think that he may be the one to get them what they want, their own nation, their own place, everything to be settled. And uh, Jesus is going to bring fulfillment in this passage, but it's going to look way different than they think. Uh, our misplaced longings, um, you know, we're going to look first at our misplaced longings in the way that these people have misplaced longings, but then we're going to look at how they cause us to miss God and finally, we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills our longings. So the first is we're just going to look at the idea of our misplaced longings like these people have. And uh, in this story, Jesus performs an amazing miracle. People think that probably 20,000 people were here uh, because it says 5,000 men. And so uh, at minimum, there were 5,000. There may have been upwards of 20,000 people there that were fed that day. Uh, so much so that there was just, like, leftovers everywhere. Like, this is meant to be portrayed as, like, this was an amazing... This was not, like, you know, everyone, like, found some food in their pockets and they all were fed. Like, we're meant to think, to know, like, this was incredible. And after the miracle, the crowd chases Jesus down. And, and in response to them, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. I want you to think about what that means. Uh, what's, Jesus is saying, you want me for a reason that's so much less important than the real reason you should want me. Does that make sense? Uh, my wife and I have been married for six years. We have two kids, and... Uh, the first Mother's Day where my wife qualified as a mother uh, when she was uh, pregnant with our oldest daughter, I was like, I'm going to get Maggie like an awesome Mother's Day gift. And I wouldn't, like, I spent a lot of money on this gift, but it was also because she, I knew it was something that we were going to need to buy for her anyway, a, la a new laptop. She was working on this, like, clunker laptop, and it was miserable. And so I was like, I'm going to use this occasion to get her, like, a nice MacBook Air kind of like that one over there that I have. And uh, I, I, like, got it, like, it was, like, nicely equipped, you know, like, good specs and all of that. 
And I gave it to her, and we just laugh about this all the time because the main thing she, like, it's a nice laptop, and the main thing she uses it for is texting her friends. <laughs> and uh, you know how, like, if you have an Apple, like an iPhone and a MacBook, like, you get your texts on your laptop, and so you can type faster on the laptop, and cause she's a mom, so she doesn't have time to text a lot during the day, so at night she just, like, sits at her computer and, like, sends all her texts and stuff. <laughs> and that's, like, literally almost, like, most days it's all she uses it for, and so we don't call it a laptop anymore, we call it her texting machine. And, uh, you know, that's really what's going on, and that's what people are trying to do with Jesus in this passage. The crowd is treating Jesus like Maggie treats her laptop. <laughs> She wouldn't mind me saying that. Like, is just, we joke about this all the time. Um, they should be saying, like, wow, the, Jesus is amazing. If I have him, like, did you see what he did? If I have him, that's literally all that matters. And instead they're saying, like, wow, it's so great that we all got to eat so much food. If I can keep getting this much food all the time, I'll be set for life. You see the difference? And it's, it's not bad to have longings, and it's not bad to want to be complete, but it is bad to fill up on cheap substitutes. The cheap substitutes that won't make us complete. It will be painful, in other words, like if you eat candy instead of bread. Like it will be fine for a while, but it will catch up to you. Um, and so Jesus says in verse 27, he says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life. And for those of us, you know, if you call yourself a Christian tonight, you need to take that as a warning. Uh, there's a kind of a devotion to God that's really just a devotion to ourselves. Uh, these men seem to be devout followers of God, but they don't want God, they want to be full. They want what God, they, they want what Jesus can give them. They don't want Jesus himself. In other words, they're treating Jesus like he's a genie in a bottle, or they're treating Jesus like he's a vending machine. You know, I put in and you give. And the problem with that is that no one loves a vending machine, right? Like, you don't love your vending machine. You love what it gives you. You don't love, a, no one loves a genie in a bottle, except for maybe Robin Williams in Aladdin. Uh, but you don't love, you love what a genie can give you. Um, and so it's po Jesus is saying it's possible to look pretty good, like look like a pretty religious person, and actually be nowhere near God because he's just kind of like this front for what you're really after, for what you really want. And so I want to ask you tonight, what is it for you? What are you really looking for to make yourself full? And I hope you'll, maybe not now, but at some other point, just think, like, what is it that I long for deeply? What, do I, what am I living for uh, to make myself full? And then ask you, you know, what is it doing to my relationship with God? And so that's our misplaced longings. But I want to look now at how they can cause us to miss God. Uh, at the end of our passage, the crowd tracks Jesus down on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, so, yeah, this part here. And... Uh, and again, this conversation with Jesus where they're asking him, all right, like, tell us what God wants from us. Will you tell us? And Jesus says, God wants you to believe in the one whom he sent. In other words, he's saying, like, believe in me. Trust me. Trust that if you're with me, there's no possible way you won't be fulfilled. Lean all your weight on me. I can take it. I can bear the weight of being your everything. 
And in response, they say, what sign do you do that we might believe you? Like, what work do you perform? Which is amazing, right? Like, he just fed thousands of people, and they're like, give me a sign that, like, (laughs) you're who you say you are. Um, And it's really, it's interesting, because they also bring up this story from the Old Testament, uh, from the book of Exodus of Moses and the manna for Israel. You guys know that story? Um, when God rescued his people out of slavery, one of the miracles he performed for them for, I don't know, 40 years was to rain food from the sky for them that they could collect called manna in the wilderness so that they could survive as they wandered through the wilderness to the promised land. And... Uh, The amazing thing about that was that it wasn't long before they began to grumble. And they were like, this manna sucks. You know, like, let's go back to slavery. You know, like that was kind of, they were grumbling in that kind of way. And it's like, God's raining food from the sky. Don't you see? Um, They get hungry and they grumble. They're like, how are we going to get any food? And he's like, it's like, he's giving you food. Um, And that story fits here because it's absurd, just like this. Uh, These people seem like, it's like, did you see? Are you seeing what's going on? Uh, But we need to see that we operate just like them. Um, The real danger of having money be your everything, or having sex be your everything, or status, or a relationship, or friends, or a career, or whatever else you might kind of make your everything, is that they will blind you from seeing the goodness of God. And we say, God, if you're so good, like, why don't I have more money? Or like, God, if you're so good, how come my future seems so uncertain? Or God, if you're so good, why can't I like date the person I want to date? And when we, when we struggle to believe that God's good, it's not because we don't have evidence to believe that. It's because the sad state of our hearts is that we want something less than God's goodness, not more. Um, We want something less valuable. We want something less secure than God himself. Like, we don't want the MacBook Pro. We want the texting machine, okay? Now, I want us to think about Jesus here. I want us to... Think about how Jesus fulfilled, how can Jesus fulfill our deepest longing? How can he bear the weight of being our everything? And in this passage, he says something amazing. He says, I am the bread of life. It's the first of several I am statements that we're going to look at this semester in John's gospel. Like, you know, I am the bread of life, or I am the way, the truth, and the life. All these statements we'll see. And it's interesting because He's already said that he's God. Uh, he's the one, he's saying like, I, you know that story about Moses in the wilderness, provide, like God providing the manna, like I'm that God. But he doesn't then conclude by saying, I'm the baker. I can provide you with all the bread you want. Instead he says, I am the bread. I am what you want. I can fulfill you. Does it mean that if you're a Christian, then life will be easy? No. Uh, What does the Bible actually say about what it's like to be one of God's people? Like, it's hard, right? It's compared in the Bible to, like, a grueling race 
that Christians run, trying to live life as God's people, trying to maintain faith, trying to endure to the end. And that's why God provided manna for his people in the wilderness, right? Uh, There was a stipulation when he did that, though, which was pick up enough for one day. So when God was raining manna every day for his people to eat in the wilderness, he said, just pick up enough for one day, and tomorrow I'll do it again. And he said, don't store up a bunch in a jar. Just take what you need for the day. Um, Why did he do that? It's because if they could save up enough manna for a lifetime, guess who they would run away from? Right? The source of the manna, God. They, they quit the race, and so instead God gives them the daily supply of what they need so that each day they'll stay near to him instead of settling for some cheap substitute like we always do. And so when Jesus says he's the bread of life, he's not saying that if you have... If you have him, you'll be happy all the time. He's not saying if you have him, like you're, you will have a life of ease and comfort. But he is saying that if you have him, you will be supplied for the grueling race of life in this world. And you, you all know that life feels like a grueling race a lot of the time. And what happens in the course of this race, as you run it as a one of God's people, what makes it so good is that your tendency to run away from God starts to get less and less. As you feed on Jesus, you start to actually get stronger and stronger, and you start to kind of be led exactly where you need to be, which is in the heart of God himself, with God forever. Because that's what we long for. We long to be with God. Like, we were made for that, and our soul cries out for that because we don't have it now. Uh, what does Jesus want for you in this life? Like, does he want you to just have, like, a nice, cozy, like, you know, um, ease, easy, like, free of pain and heartache life? No. Not, I mean, he does, he's not against that, but what he ultimately wants is for you to be like him. He wants to take you straight to the heart of God. Uh, so... Uh, what does it look like if you're truly feeding on Jesus? You know, what would it look like to walk around Yukon and know uh, that you were feeding on Jesus? I think it would look like not having to hoard every good thing you have, uh, being able to share your resources, like your time and whatever else you have. Uh, it looks like when life gets difficult, not running to the quickest source of like comfort that you can find that won't satisfy you, uh, not numbing yourself the way we all tend to numb ourselves to just feel better in a moment, Um, not looking for cheap pleasure to satisfy in the way that we tend to do. Um, A lot of you have heard me talk about this story of my kids. Uh, I tell it a lot because it was a very, that's happened twice now, two poignant moments for me. Uh, my kids were both uh, born with a tongue and lip time. Uh, everyone has like these little like flaps under their lip right here and under their tongue. You know that like sliver? It's called a frenulum. And uh, some kids are born with it. It's like too thick. And so it messes up nursing. So like the front lip can't like lift up the way as far as it needs to. And the tongue can't stick out as far as it needs to. And so both of my kids were born with these. And what it meant was that uh, if they were going to feed correctly, they were going to need to have this like surgery, essentially, to 
cut off the flaps and they lasered it off. And so uh, as a young new dad, I had the experience twice now of holding my kid just like this, holding my arm out, you know, tiny baby just born and watching a doctor take this laser and just kind of like burn off the flesh of my kid while they screamed and looked into my eyes in terror and I had to hold them tight like this, you know. It's an amazing, like, I still can't believe that happened. And I want you to think about that as you think about relating to God. Because that, like, that surgery was what they needed in that moment. Like, they needed to be made well. It needed to happen. And I just want to ask you, like, do you want a life free of pain and sorrow and hurt? Or... Do you want to know that you're held in the arms of the one you were made for? The one who promises that one day the hurt is going to go away. The one who says, I know exactly what I'm doing. Um, How can you be sure, though? You know, like, my kids didn't know. They just shrieked in terror, right? Uh, They flailed around. Like, I had to, like, hold them tight. Um, So how can we be sure that Jesus can hold us, right? How can, how can we know that God is that good? Um, it's because Jesus was God, and yet he endured all the pain, and all the sorrow, and all the hurt that we feel, and he endured it himself. And it's interesting that John provides the detail at the beginning of our passage that it's the Passover. Uh, in verse 4, he says, he's like, it was the Passover Passover of the Jews, uh, which means that this is, Jesus would be looking, thinking ahead to one year later when he was the Passover lamb. He would be looking, thinking ahead to the time when he would be the one who uh, was torn apart, just like those loaves of bread on the cross, uh, crucified. For people like this, for people like us, um, you know, do you want to talk about feeling insecure, feeling unfulfilled, feeling unstable? Like Jesus felt it more than we could ever feel it. He felt it as he was arrested. He felt it as he was tried. He felt it as he was tortured. He felt it as he was bound up. And, you know, you want to talk about a non-fulfilling end to life? Uh, How about being nailed to a cross while everyone mocks you? Why did he endure it? He did it so that he could make people like you and me, people that run constantly to like the cheapest source of fulfillment to try to be happy, he did that so that we could be made like God himself. So that we could be transformed into having the character of God to be people that love. That's the only thing that'll do it, okay? That's the only thing that will turn you away from all these other false things, these things that, like, you, you know they're probably not going to make you happy, but you just, like, try them anyway, and they don't, and you're more miserable. That is the only thing that will change our hearts. And so uh, let me just close by praying that that would change our hearts tonight. Let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask that uh, we would...
partake of Christ tonight in our hearts, uh, that we would feed on his goodness, uh, especially the goodness that would make him come to die uh, for people that are just as dense as this crowd was in this story a lot of the time. Uh, For us that just run from you uh, so often, Lord, uh, change our hearts. Uh, Help us to know the fulfillment that comes in knowing Jesus. Uh, We pray this all in his name. Amen.